he has brushed off the dust and chips of his life will have left only the hard, clean questions. Was it good or was it evil? Was Lost a well-made TV show or a bad one? Hi, welcome to All the Best Podcasts Have Daddy Issues. I'm your host, Nolan Pavlich. And I'm Emma May. We we finally got here, folks. Woo! On our quest to ask the question, is Lost a good TV show? We reached a very special episode. Maybe the best titled episode in the history of television. I'm not sure. I can't think of one that beats it. Yeah, this is All a good the one. best cowboys have daddy issues. We're here. A thing that is, yeah, is difficult for me to say without inserting the word podcast at this point. I have said <laughs> that out loud more than this, but yeah. Emma, do you, uh, have you, have you seen what the title comes from? No. Mm-mm. Okay, so there's a Pete Townsend album called All the Best Cowboys Have Chinese Eyes. Yikes. Townsend explains the album title as referring to the average American hero, somebody like a Clint Eastwood or a John Wayne, somebody with eyes like slits. So I'm going to go ahead and say All the Best Cowboys Have Chinese Eyes among the worst titles out there. Yeah, yep. But All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, I would... I'm, I'm still keeping at the top. It has awful beginnings, but it rises above them. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this episode? Overall thoughts? Yeah, 10 out of 10 for me. I love this episode mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my favorite part of it is just getting that backstory between Jack and his dad, um, which we'll obviously dive deeper into. But I love that we're... Kind of getting that insight out of this episode. Yeah. What did you think? This one, I, this one's banging on all cylinders yeah. for sure. I, I the the story on the island, good. It's action packed. It's fast paced, and then the flashbacks are also like great and interesting to watch. Uh, good character development. The the like little uh, side stuff with mostly Walt, but also other characters, mm-hmm. um, is great. The it has a nice cliffhanger at the end, like everything that you want a lost episode to be. That's what this one is, I think. Um, and uh, interestingly, it was also written by the same guy who did um, House of the Rising Sun. Oh, um, so maybe we gotta keep a lookout for his episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's jump into it. We got a lot to talk about here. Directed by Stephen Williams. Uh, this is, I believe, the first episode he's directed, but. He will go on to um, to work on Lost for at least a, up until season five, it looks like. He directs uh, quite a few episodes. Uh, not as many as uh, Jack Bender, but Stephen Williams will be around for a while. And that's written by Javier uh, Grigio Marks Watch, is how it's pronounced. I had to uh, look it up. Mm. I mangled it last time, so I wanted to actually be responsible with it this time. Uh, and it aired on December 8th, 2004. Did you see the Hulu tagline for this episode? No, I didn't. I missed or it. The summary. What was it? Okay, it is Boone and Locke discover another island mystery. Bad summation of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so that's literally if you if you told someone if you described any part of this, I mean that just wouldn't be it. That's the cliffhanger at the end. Right. That's so dumb. Yeah, it's like the last 30 seconds of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the the after-the-credits Marvel scene. Uh, that <laughs> is not the sum of the episode. But what can you say? Hulu doesn't always get it right, um, believe it or not. So, yeah, starting off, Hurley gives us a nice recap. So this is kind of the first episode where it's like immediately... Then, so, I guess the pilot, if you count the pilot as two episodes, goes um, does this as well. But if you're looking at pilot part one and part two as one episode, this one, it ends with the cliffhanger of Ethan and then on the last episode and then immediately starts going into that on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, Hurley gives us a little summation at the, at the top to catch up all the people that missed last week's episode. Ethan wasn't on the plane. Um, and they piece together pretty quickly, I think, just to get us into the meat of the episode. Claire and Charlie are headed towards the beach. That's also where Ethan was going. And uh, Locke and Jack run down the path towards the beach. I love this. I think this is... I, there's a couple like action shots through the jungle mm-hmm. in this one. 
And it's just great. It's so cinematic. You don't really expect it from this kind of TV show, especially on network television in 2004. They they find Claire's bag. Locke finds footprints. And there was a struggle, and Ethan dragged them off, which uh, is scary. Ethan's kind of like a, a horror villain, right? Yeah. Like, he's kind of like a... What's who? What's the, not Freddy Krueger? Jason. Mm-hmm. He's he's like weirdly strong. I mean, Locke brings up here that he might have other people helping him, and they don't even know, you know, who else in the group right now could be helping him. Mm-hmm. Since Ethan kind of came out of nowhere, uh, Ethan was the only one that wasn't on the manifest though. So it feels like most of the people we know are, you know, they check out. But yeah, I mean, like the idea that Ethan dragged. Claire and Charlie through the jungle is uh, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, a scary figure in this one. So Jack and Locke argue here. What did you think about their arguing? Uh, kind of in this scene, but also, I guess, the rest of the episode, too. I was Team Locke this episode. I think okay. that he made, yeah. like, really good points. Like, yeah, they're just 10 minutes away. Go back at a search party. Like, kind of don't it's a perfect example of jack just letting his emotions run wild again yeah this whole episode really is yeah uh i mean he's and he explains it to kate later on but like yeah he he is purely like just trying to like rush headfirst in the into the danger to try and figure it out um yeah i agree i mean Jack is just so combative here. And their argument is fun to watch, I think, because Locke has that kind of, like, really, like, cold iron, like, he's pretty unflappable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jack is just so, like, heated and angry. and But they're both, like, getting into it. Eventually, though, Jack convinces Locke to tell him which way to go. Locke tells him, and then Locke heads back to the caves. We get our first flashback while Jack is running all on his own. He is losing a patient on the operating table. Uh, the patient is flatlining, and Jack is trying to revive her, even though everyone, all the, like, nurses and other doctors or whoever, you know, anesthesiologists that are in there, uh, everyone can tell it's it's over, but he keeps trying. Uh, finally, we, we realize his dad is, like... In the shadows. It, it, well... Yeah, he's, 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 he's creeping, mm-hmm. for sure. He's hiding behind a bush that's for some reason in the operating room. <laughs> this, so the rest of the episode, I mean, we find out in the next flashback scene what happened, but this one kind of tricks you into thinking that Jack made a mistake mm-hmm. and his dad is sitting in watching him. Um, his dad tells him to call it. Jack refuses and says, no, you call it. This is great. I mean, it has the, we'll get to it later, the scene with Charlie where he's also not given mm-hmm. up. It's just, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, this episode really, like, clicks. Like, everything everything works well with it. It Yeah, it's firing on all cylinders. Absolutely. I was kind of scared, I have to admit, that this was going to be the angel hair pasta patient. Like, when it first popped up into the flashback, I was honestly a little relieved that it wasn't as oh, graphic yeah. as, like, so, that first patient encounter that he... Uh, describes to Kate. I think, I will say, I'm pretty sure we do end up, I don't think that we ever see in, I mean, I don't think they ever show inside of somebody, but uh, we do get that surgery at some we point. We do? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah. I think I, if I'm remembering right. And you know what's weird about it is during the surgery, Jack is eating a bowl of angel hair <laughs> pasta too. Mm. Which seems irresponsible. He has to have a nurse, you know, he, he does the thing where he says fork and then the nurse gives him a fork and then Parmesan. She gives us Parmesan. <laughs> Kate and Boone join Locke. I think this is fun too. There's a bunch of cut content on this one. One of the things is that it, it was not supposed to be Boone joining. It was supposed to be two new people. Oh. And so uh, this is the second time now where they have, instead of introducing new people, just been like, oh, you know what? Make it Boone. Or make it Boone and Shannon with the the asthma thing. Mm-hmm. But I, this one works for me a lot better, I think, because the Boone and Locke chemistry is kind of fun. Yeah, I like watching them together. Um, Locke is maybe the only person so far that's actually taken Boone seriously. He actually, he's, he says, like, thank you for helping or come along or whatever, where everyone else just tells Boone to forget it and then Boone has to, like do something weird while everybody's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first time Boone's been allowed out in the daylight, I guess. Michael wants to come along 
and Locke shuts him down pretty hard. Uh, and it doesn't feel like Locke is necessarily being malicious. I think he's just kind of being matter-of-fact, but he's not putting any thought into Michael's how, how it makes Michael feel. Yeah, I think that a component of it, too, is that he knows that Michael has Walt and probably wants to keep him out of harm's way. But it's coming across as, like, so short. Um, I thought that this interaction was really good, also. Mm-hmm. Well, and it starts with Walt trying to tell Michael, hey, I, I could have, you know, Vincent smell some of their clothes and go after him. Which uh, Hurley had already suggested with uh, finding water. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make it seem like maybe Walt is smarter than Hurley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because that plan actually does make some sense. I think I think you maybe got to train a, uh, a yellow lab to do that. But it at least uh, is something that, that, you know, that dogs are known to do. Well, Vincent's pretty amazing, though. Like, he responded to the dog whistle without being trained. So, who's to say? Now... Emma, it seems like you're implying that I don't think Vincent is amazing. <laughs> I know Vincent is amazing, all right? Obviously, I'm a Madistan. I'm, uh, I'm wearing the t-shirt right now. Oh, we have to make t-shirts. Yeah, it's Madison, uh, 1993 to never. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Michael shuts down Walt a little bit and says, no, I already told you we're not doing that. And then goes to ask Locke, and Locke basically shuts down Michael in the same way. And he kind of gets a little taste of his own medicine there. And he's clearly kind of been embarrassed in front of Walt. I mean, Harold Perrineau has a little bit to do this episode. Not a ton, and he, but he kills it in this scene. Mm-hmm. He's just so funny. He, I wish that he got more funny stuff to do on the show. Especially when it wasn't like, this is such a serious episode. So there's not a ton of like humor in it. There's a little bit. So Jack is aimlessly running through the jungle. We get another flashback. Uh, Christian is chastising Jack uh, for barging into his OR and taking the patient. And Jack reveals that the reason that he did that was that Christian's hands were shaking. Uh, He made a mistake and cut an artery. They're basically going back and forth. I mean, this is a great, I I think, a great argument. Yeah. Christian is, like, holding on to the ego of him being the one who was called and not Jack. And he kind of, you know, he... Gets at him with the, tell me, if you were upstairs and I was in a restaurant having lunch, then why did they call me? Jack asks him how many drinks he had at lunch. Uh, and that gets him to storm off. Uh, he, Jack also refuses to give up the nurse that uh, reported Christian, which uh, is great. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a big fan of that, Jack. You gotta stand up for the little guy. I, I, thanks, Jack. Locke and Kate and Boone... Find Jack as he's wandering aimlessly, and Locke tries to get Jack uh, to head back. I think, I think, kind of maybe for the reasons like you were saying with Michael. Like I'm guessing that he just doesn't want the doctor to be the one to like get killed <laughs> chasing yeah, after these people. And that is sound reasoning. Like I am yeah. all team Locke this episode. I also I did like how Kate says, "Oh, I'm coming along too." And there was just no hesitation. He's like, yeah, I thought you wouldn't. Gives her a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of, it feels like a lot of the time people kind of try to be like, you know, hey, no, don't, you can't go. I'll do this alone. And, and yeah. Locke knows who he wants with him. And he knows who makes sense to sacrifice, essentially. Mm-hmm. And who makes sense to not sacrifice. And I, I would agree. Jack is maybe the person that definitively should not be running out of the jungle uh, when there's a Ethan hulking behind the the trees. Mm -hmm. But he kind of blames himself. Uh, He says Ethan is the better hunter and tracker, but Locke should have realized it, you know, while he was working with Ethan. Uh, Yeah, he tries to convince Jack to send it out, but Jack just fully blows him off. Um, And I feel like this is such a good example of, like, a side-by-side example. We have Jack, who is completely acting on his feelings of guilt and is turning that into kind of this bull in a china shop like method of trying to save Charlie and Claire and then we have Locke who is also feeling motivated by guilt 
but he's still keeping his head on his shoulders. And I really like that they are both like in the group and we get to kind of see that play out throughout the episode. Yeah, Jack feels like he is being kind of purposefully self-destructive, right? Yeah. Like he's, he was probably thrilled when Ethan beat him up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he is running forward just trying to get himself into trouble to make up for the fact that he, he didn't believe Claire. Back at the caves, Michael is sick of being treated like a second-class citizen. Uh, he's feeling disrespected by Locke, and Walt kind of sticks up for Locke and says, you know, he's, he, he brought all the knives, he's a great hunter, I would listen to him, and Walt says, uh, you know, or Michael says, you know, I don't want you to stick around Locke anymore, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fair. I guess nobody, there hasn't come anything since, uh, didn't Locke give him a knife, right? At the, that wasn't last episode, but the one before. Mm-hmm. Or no, was that last episode? Maybe it was. No, it wasn't. I think it was, it was the one before. Nine. Yeah. So maybe Locke has been training Walt more? I don't know. Locke is, uh, tearing a shirt into strips to mark progress, and Boone, Boone says, oh, well, aren't you, uh, can't you guide us back and... Locke says, yeah, I mean, if nothing happens to me. And Boone, you know, gets kind of, like, shocked by that. And Locke is clearly just loving that he kind of gets to be, like, the mysterious hunter compared to, like, the, you know, like, wide-eyed, naive Boone. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it is, like, a fun dynamic. And it's definitely the best that Boone has been used on the show so far. Yeah. Um, Locke wants to take a break. And uh, Jack is furious about this. I will say Locke was arguing earlier that, hey, we don't know how many people are with Ethan, which, if that's true, I will say maybe taking a break is not the best. I mean, they could be anywhere at that point. Kate drags Jack off and asks, you know, says, hey, why don't you cut Locke some slack? And Jack says he's mad at himself for not believing Claire. I think rightfully so. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's... It's crazy that they were just that willing to be like, oh, she's hallucinating. Yeah, she's pregnant. She is hysterical. Which, she doesn't have, like, a history of doing anything like that. Like, she's the least confrontational character. Yeah, she's been the chillest person on the show, like, by far. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, especially because it's like, you would think if that kind of stuff was going to happen, it would maybe happen more right after the crash. I can't imagine that she would just get so insanely stressed like a week later or whatever that she would start having hallucinations. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just seems crazy that they wouldn't believe her, especially when they're on like Dinosaur Island or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, Crapple Island. Obviously, Shannon did name it. That's that, true. And we do need to respect that. Ch- uh, Locke finds one of Charlie's little finger bandages. We get a nice, <laughs> we get a nice uh, flashback of Charlie uh, writing his the late on them with the Sharpie. In case we needed, uh, I guess for people who didn't know that those were Charlie's. Charlie is leaving a trail, but then Locke finds a second trail going in a different direction. They, they hit a fork in the path where they're, they could be going both ways. Kate thinks that one is probably a dummy trail, um, which is the obvious conclusion. Uh, and because of that, she is now deemed to be a tracker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, I mean, clearly she can do it. Like, so it's not like she, it's not like they're wrong. It's just funny that it's like, she's like, whoa, well, there's two trails going different directions. I wonder if he doubled back. And then everyone just points at her and just says, oh, you're a tracker now. You're a tracker. But the gang splits up. Locke and Boone pair off and Jack and Kate. Out of the two, I will say this. I'm, I I would prefer to be going with Locke and Boone. Seems like they are having a, a, a much more fun time than Jack and Kate. So... We get a scene of Walt explaining to Sawyer everything that's been going on. Presumably because Walt is the only person who will talk to him. Mm-hmm. And Walt says that he thinks... it was... <laughs> At first, Sawyer's like, well, his name was in the manifest. Maybe he used a fake name. Um, which we do know Sawyer is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also comes up with, did, he, did Sawyer tell Hurley his real name? Because then... Uh, which we, we don't know yet, but like... If that's the case, like, why didn't Sawyer... Sawyer didn't show up, unless Sawyer legally had his name changed to Sawyer. Which would be insane. Which would be insane, but you never know. <laughs> Anyways, it does, it is funny. Walt says, 
you know, going by a fake name is stupid. And Walt says that he thinks Ethan was already here on the island, uh, which seems pretty probable. Sawyer, like, basically thinks it's very dumb, but I don't understand. Like, what does Sawyer think that Ethan came from? Yeah. If he wasn't on the manifest. Like, the only op- the only other option besides he was already on the island is he arrived at the island after them mm-hmm. and then decided to do this plan, which makes less sense. And then Walt tells him that Saeed is back and Sawyer's, uh, <laughs> Sawyer's priorities change real quick. Uh, and so we get this scene. We also get one later with Walt and Hurley. Um, I got to say, these are great. Malcolm David Kelly is really good. Oh, he's great this episode. Obviously, there's only so much drama that you can involve like a 10-year-old kid in on the island. It makes you wish that there was just more scenes of him interacting with other people. Yeah. Uh, because he, he is really good. And very insightful, too. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's just an interesting perspective from to hear from the only child on the island. I mean, there's... I feel like most kids on TV shows are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. That was kind of... I think Stranger Things, that was like the main draw of like the first season, right? Like, there's the 80s stuff, which people liked, but like, what's her name... That plays uh, Millie Bobby Brown, right? Is that mm-hmm. it? Or is yep. it Bobby? Millie Bobby yeah, Brown. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. She, like, killed it. Yeah. Um, and that's just so rare to see. Uh, which, it it also then comes to where you're like, oh, geez. They, uh, they hired Malcolm David Kelly right before he was uh, starting puberty. That's gonna, that's gonna change pretty quick mm-hmm. on uh, him being, like, the cute kid. But Boone... Brings up the red shirts from Star Trek. Are you a Star Trek fan? Have you watched much of it? My parents were really into Star Trek. So I would mm. like kind of watch it with them. Like they're definitely Trekkies. Um, they're Trekkies. But uh, I I like don't really know the lore or anything like that. I like the J.J. Abrams movie that came out. So that was good. Yeah. It was entertaining. But I don't know a ton about it. Are you big into Star Trek? No, I, I never was big into Star Trek or Star Wars, to be honest. Yeah, me either. It's just, Star Trek was like a little too cheesy for me, which I know is crazy because I've already mentioned on our show that I loved Xena and Hercules. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it, I don't know, just the, there are better sci-fi dramas out there, I think. Something about having all those, uh, like the... The kind of like cheap TV makeup and stuff that they had to do for all the different aliens. I just was never into that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, anytime you're like, oh, hey, there's this uh, this guy and he's basically like a normal human except for he's like got a weird haircut and he's got like six butt cheeks on his forehead. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> you're kind of like, all right, well, I guess I love this character now. Like, I, I guess yeah. I got to keep looking at him for the rest of the show. Like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But this uh, this red shirt thing is like a super like TV tropes type. I, I mean, I've seen it on the internet a lot. Uh, people like to bring it up. Boone brings it up here, and Locke says, uh, you know, because the idea is the red shirts would go along on all the Star Trek episodes, so that there was somebody to die that wasn't the main cast. Mm-hmm. And Locke says, "Oh, well, that sounds like a pretty piss poor captain." Then um, this is maybe a reference. I have to assume it is. Uh, Terry O'Quinn was on The Next Generation Star Trek. What? And he played a captain of a ship who was uh, such a bad captain that he got mutinied by his crew. Oh my gosh. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen it. I just, I know that. So I don't know if that was purposeful reference or a fun little irony, but Boone asks what Locke does for a living, and he says... Um, that he was a regional collection supervisor for a box company, and Boone doesn't believe him. That was so cute. Boone's like, yeah, right. I it, I don't know. It's just a fun dynamic. And I like that Locke... Locke seems like someone where if anybody asks him, ask, actually asked him about himself, he would talk about maybe... Maybe he wouldn't bring up the wheelchair unless, you know, he was asked directly. Seems like he's kind of keeping that under wraps. But, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that he would be... He's... He's letting everyone believe that he's like the, uh, you know, Crocodile Dundee 
uh, guy, but I think that it, you know, like right here, like if people asked him about it, he would just tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, on team, not very fun. Jack is like rushing head first in whatever, and I guess Kate is like shouting directions behind him. Yeah, that part was really confusing me. Like, why is he ahead of her when she's the the tracker? Yeah. And then he, she's saying, hey, you gotta, like, I'm not, like, great at this. This is not my thing. And he, I guess, just immediately starts to try and, like, hurt her feelings. Like, he says, well, where'd you learn to track? Was it when you were on the run? Um, I guess because he thinks that she learned how to track so that she could, like, hunt down people and kill them. Seems like maybe you should have just uh, let her tell you what she did, Yeah. Um, Still upset about that. Uh, But she says no. She used to go hiking with her dad all the time, um, who was in the army. uh, And she, being in the woods was like his religion, she says. They they once tracked a deer for eight hours, which uh, doesn't sound super great, but... Uh, seems like she was, it was a fond childhood memory for her. She kind of puts him in her, his place with that a little bit. Uh, but it is one of those things where, <laughs> I don't know. See, he's just, uh, he's just lashing out at everybody yeah, in this episode. I, not a fan of Jack this episode. It, well, it's weird. I am a, I do like his stuff in the flashbacks. I think that, yeah. that is great. Yeah. And so it's, it's a weird little contrast between, I mean, that is what's great about those flashbacks is like, uh, there's probably, you could do the same thing with my life, just pick a day where I'm being a dick and then uh, do a flashback of me being a, a a good boy, even though my dad's mad at me, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so, in flashback, Jack gets called into Christian's office. I love, this is a great scene. Christian wants him to sign off on his version of what happened. So he has it all typed up, Jack just has to sign it. And Jack says, hey, looks like you fixed everything but the patient. And Christian realizes he's going to have to try a little bit harder on this. Uh, And he just immediately goes into defense mode. He says he's going to be stripped of his license if Jack turns him in. He tells Jack that he's only been hard on him in order to toughen him up. The thing that he says that I think is what gets Jack to sign is he finally tells him that he's the most gifted young surgeon in the city. Uh, I do love that because it means that he, he couldn't just say most gifted surgeon because... That would mean that Jack is better than him. Mm-hmm. So he did have to say gifted young surgeon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jack ends up signing it. I, it's just a great performance by John Terry, I think. Yeah, I think Matthew Fox does a good job too. Like He does, yeah. He does. Both of them are just really great. Yeah. It, it just really captures that. Like He's like a cornered animal almost. He's just pulling out every single thing mm-hmm. he can. To try and uh, get Jack to sign. Uh, and just manipulating the hell out of him. And Jack is falling for it. And I guess this is like where Jack is not doing the right thing, right? Like he's letting his family ties make it so that he's covering up for his dad, essentially. Which isn't good, but it, when you're watching it, you understand why that happens. Mm-hmm. Saeed is asleep in the caves. Uh, and uh, Sawyer comes by and tells him... Looks like he got some karma for stabbing Sawyer. And Saeed tells Sawyer about the French woman and about the whispers that he heard on the way back. It seems like Sawyer doesn't believe him, and but he says that he kept the signal fire burning. This it's uh I guess the scene is just to tell you like Sawyer's not planning on killing Saeed. Yeah. Uh they don't really I mean, there's a part where Sawyer says that he could really kick the snot out of Saeed, um, which is a, it's a bummer that Sawyer's not allowed to swear. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that doesn't really fit. That's, I think, it for Naveen Andrews this episode, too. He doesn't get much of anything to do. He does um, also express remorse. Which yes. I felt like was way more in line with his character than, like, how all of the torture stuff even came about. But, yeah, he was able to apologize, at least. Well, say that and also Sawyer... It. Sawyer says, oh, well, I guess I'm fresh out of forgiveness, which I think is Sawyer's way of forgiving him. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that Sawyer maybe uh, kind of does, like, realize he needs to let it go now. Yeah, that is true. Walt is beating Hurley at backgammon. Um, this is just, I don't know, this is a cute scene. Hurley's losing pretty bad. 
he Walt is doing that thing that kids do whenever they're playing games where they they blow on the dice like six or seven times mm-hmm. before they roll it. I think that is such a fun. I don't know that that's such a perfect uh, like encapsulation of like a kid playing a game with an adult. The uh, and yeah, Hurley says Walt's like, hey, it's all right. You know, you'll you'll learn how to play with time. And then Hurley says it took seventeenth in a tournament once. Um, and Hurley says he owes him twenty thousand dollars. Uh, or Walt says that Hurley owes him twenty thousand dollars as he's walking away. I will say it is interesting. Something that people keyed in on this a lot is that Walt just got whatever he wanted to roll on this. Like with every single roll, mm-hmm. he'd say what he wanted and then he'd get it. So Boone and Locke, they it, it basically it seems like they did get the dummy trail. So Kate was right. Um, eventually, they lose the trail. Locke asks Boone what he did for a living. And we did, so earlier we did find out that Boone owns a business. He, turns out it's a wedding business. Uh, his mom is the Martha Stewart of matrimony. And uh, Boone runs one of the subsidiaries of her empire. He doesn't go into more detail than that. I, I'm desperate to know what oh, yeah. subsidiary, like what does he run? What, it's, it can't be dresses. I can't wait for their episode, the Boone and Shannon backstory. I know. I know. It needs... See, that's where you love the flashbacks, because you're like, oh, the Boone and Shannon episode could be a fun... (laughs) It could be just a fun episode of him trying to put on a wedding. Mm -hmm. I would would love to watch that as like a B story to something going on on the island. Maybe they're marrying two people on the island, Scott and Steve, or tying the knot. Mm Mm-hmm. I am, of course, joking. There's no gay marriage on the island. Certainly not in 2004. Uh, ABC would not allow that. No. Uh, Locke says, hey, it's going to rain in one minute. Tells Boone to head back, but Boone decides to stay out. And what do you know? It does start raining. So Jack and Kate have the right trail, we find out, because they find another letter. Uh, And then we hear Claire scream in the background. Uh, Jack just takes off running after her. And then... He's trying to climb a hill with some... Well, let me just say, he's running up that hill. (laughs) To make a deal with Ethan, presumably. But he falls down, slides down, and then he runs into Ethan. Well, I think it's important to point out that Kate didn't hear a scream. So he was running towards a scream that Kate did not hear. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that was in his head. I mean, it, it is... You can hear it as a listener, mm-hmm. but obviously we also could see, you know, his dad's ghost out on the beach, right. so yeah. uh, he could just be still hallucinating. Yeah, that's a good point. Jack slides down the hill. Uh, Bumps Ethan, his head pretty good. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ethan is down there, and they have a little uh, schoolyard fight. Which Jack was getting smoked. Yeah, Jack, Jack got his ass kicked yeah. for sure. Makes you feel bad for the kid that Jack was supposed to be protecting mm-hmm. as a child mm-hmm. uh, when he wasn't in an actual schoolyard fight because uh, I'm sure that kid got beat up pretty hard too. Doesn't seem like Jack's all that good at fighting. Um, he gets uh, knocked out too. He gets his head smacked into a rock and then passes out. I believe we are now... Is this our fourth episode in a row where somebody gets knocked out? Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm going to keep a tally of that from now on and see. I how think many... we should. I wonder. I'm trying to think what what is the longest streak the show goes on, both in both directions. Because I'd love to know how many episodes in a row someone does get knocked out, and if there's ever two episodes in a row where nobody gets knocked mm-hmm. out, that'll be that'll be interesting. <laughs> so in flashback, Jack sees his dad talking with the dead woman's husband, and a nurse says that he's threatening to sue then jack and christian are in the hearing for the i guess uh the lawsuit Mm -hmm. Uh, jack is pretty clearly not comfortable but christian is i mean he's basically the devil right (laughs) like he's he's very silver-tongued and convincing uh and uh evil wicked man (laughs) just crazy because his name is christian shepherd he you know he talks about how we did everything we could um, yada, yada, yada. And then, 
Uh, the board member says, all right, well, just one last question. Were you aware of the woman's pregnancy going in? And then Christian says, yeah, he was aware. Um, mm. Jack clearly does not. And it's at this moment that Jack realizes that his dad manipulated him, I think. He kind of realizes he got played. And uh, he amends his statement, blows the whistle. This is great. I mean, so now we know what Jack did, presumably, right? Yeah. And knowing this context now, it makes that conversation that he had with his mom so much more disgusting. Like... Yeah just knowing exactly what happened and then just all the blame that his parents put on him over it. Like Christian should be taking responsibility for it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's insane. That's an insane. That's one of those, like, uh, do you ever go on the, like, am I the asshole Reddit? Oh yeah. Threads? Mm-hmm. I- I'm addicted to these things. I can't stop. These stories are all fake. Of course. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, that's one of those things where it's, like, oh, your parents are mad. Because they, the, the thing with those threads is they have to come up with a reason why why they're wondering if they're the asshole. So, like, they'll say, like, oh, my parents are mad at me about this. And you think, well, your parents are mad at you for turning in your dad for essentially killing a woman yeah. and her unborn child? Like, that's a crazy. You That would have to be the worst mom ever Mm -hmm. to be mad at you about that. But apparently that's what Jack has, is the worst mom ever. Not that, I mean, again, we're not going to get into mommy issues. I can't, we can't handle that on this podcast. This is daddy issues (laughs) only. Only daddy issues. Especially this episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, this episode is all about the best cowboys, for sure. We should say, Jack is the greatest cowboy of all time. Just based Mm -hmm. on this, based on this episode alone. That's interesting, too. I mean, because what we've seen now, Jack's first flashback didn't include any interaction with his dad, except for when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't any... I don't think Matthew Fox interacted with him at all. But we basically have... We've seen... At first, we saw the aftermath of what happened, and then we saw the decline of their relationship. It'll be interesting to see in future episodes how much we get of their relationship as, like, a you know father-son-surgeon team yeah. in the same hospital. Like, uh, seems like Christian is a nightmare. I cannot imagine it would be good to work for him. But yeah, we'll have to see what they, if we get more of that in the future. Kate finds Charlie hanging in a tree. I mean, I feel, I feel pretty comfortable saying this. They find Charlie's corpse. Like, he looks yeah. real dead. <laughs> they, yeah. uh, Jack, like, lifts him up and Kate cuts him down. Um, and Jack tries to revive him. He's not breathing and... Jack is, you know, blowing air into his lungs, uh, pounding on his chest, trying to get his heart started. And Kate kind of starts crying, and she realizes that Charlie's dead. And she gets Jack to stop. Uh, she says, you gotta, uh, basically she says, you gotta call it. Mm-hmm. And I got so upset here that I just turned off the episode. I couldn't watch it anymore. My favorite character, Charlie, died. I couldn't believe yeah. it. <laughs> uh, did anything else happen? This episode, Emma? Uh, well, there was some hysterical CPR. Um, okay. Which, coming from a doctor, is a little strange. Seeing yeah, him yes. just punch <laughs> Charlie's heart. Streaming down, yeah. yeah, tears streaming down his face, <laughs> snot blowing out his nose as he's like, oh, don't you train for this? Isn't that... <laughs> I've seen you point. do it right. I know that you can do it yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Jack stops and we get a little bit of a fake out, but then he starts going again. And this is, I mean, this is great. So I guess it's kind of corny that Charlie lives. And in fact, the rest of this podcast that we do may in fact be about how Charlie 100% (laughs) should have died here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But what I will say is it kind of earns it in the sense of like, you get the symmetry, right, of at the beginning of Jack having to let it go. Um, and then you get, like, just the intense anger and him realizing, like, he's not going to let this one go. Mm-hmm. And it still doesn't seem like it's going to work. Like, the way it's... The way the tone of the scene is makes it seem like Jack is uh, going crazy. But then it does work. Charlie coughs up some water and he's back to life because... And, um, I mean, obviously, just punching someone's chest... Like, that doesn't do anything. I'm sure Matthew Shepard is thrilled to, like, look back on that memory of the time he got to punch 
Yeah. <laughs> Dominic Moynihan a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I maybe, would. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, he, he can't do it now, unfortunately. So they bring Charlie back to the caves. Charlie says he doesn't remember anything except for that they just wanted Claire and they didn't want him. They basically gave up at this point, which is weird. Uh, Jack has been so headstrong. I mean, we don't ever get that conversation either of them. You know, we don't see them bringing Charlie back or anything like that. But I guess once they didn't want to keep tracking Ethan after that. Yeah. Confusing. It seems like they just wanted to have the plot point of Claire being gone. Mm-hmm. Because realistically now, the next however many episodes should just be them searching for her until they find out what happened with her. Whether or not she's, you know, dead or uh, kidnapped or whatever. But... Yeah, I guess this is why Emily de Raven is not a, uh, a main cast member in season one. Mm-hmm. Because she's she's gone again. Shannon is worried about Boone, but Kate reassures her that, oh, they probably are just setting up camp for the night. And then, so, this is kind of interesting, Emma. It turns out that Boone and Locke discover another island mystery. Mm-hmm. The, they, uh, they find a weird like, metal hatch in the ground uh, because Locke tosses a flashlight to Boone and Boone drops it. So, yeah, we get a, like, weird, mysterious, what the heck's this thing, and uh, end of episode. It's great when Boone messes up for good, you know? (laughs) Instead of, like, his Uh usual MO where he's messing up and something horrible happens. Yeah, what they really need to do is tell Boone to go into the jungle and discover absolutely no island mysteries Mm -hmm. because then he's guaranteed to get at least one he's gonna figure it out yeah (laughs) you just gotta reverse psychology this dude Mm -hmm. uh, into screwing up and into failing upwards essentially Mm -hmm. yeah i mean this is uh like i said i think this is just a great episode it really gets everything that you want ranked fairly high it's ranked 37 oh wow on the uh the imdb uh user rating list so is this the highest rating we've seen so far then it's it's the highest one we've gotten so far i believe yeah i mean this is a great episode i the only misstep again is i think that charlie probably should have died there (laughs) but other than that this episode kind of gave me uh lord of the rings twin towers vibes did it yeah is that too cut that out that might be too nerdy no. to say. <laughs> no, you're um, but, allowed to be nerdy. No, like with Dominic Moynihan, like like leaving a little trail. Well, I guess it was oh, okay. did that. But yeah, it reminded me of the hobbits being taken no, I don't by think the orcs. Because it, it was that was the trail. It was uh, Charlie that was leaving those things. Mm-hmm. Because that was the right one. So Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't remember anything that happens in any of those movies specifically. Oh man! Uh, like I can't tell I can't tell you the difference between what happens in Fellowship of the Ring versus Two Towers versus uh, Return of the King. I Obviously, in the third one, the King returns. You. Yeah, the King could does you? return. I watch those we've, movies probably more than any other. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left in the podcast. Yeah. Do you want to maybe <laughs> go just through them? Recap all of them. I know you've got notes already. So, yeah, um, that's yeah. true. <laughs> well. Emma, in December of 2004, did anything happen? Yes. So, um, this aired on December 8th, 2004, and that Uh was also the same day that Dimebag Daryl, the heavy metal guitarist from Pantera, was shot and killed by a crazed Mm. fan. He died on stage performing at 38 years old. Um, and I remember him dying. I remember that it was just like such a big deal um, when it happened. Yeah. Uh, do, do you remember it happening or hearing about I it? I don't. Um, I was not. I was surrounded by like church people. Mm. And so they none of them were listening to metal like that. Sure. Uh, so I but I, I was never, never really around people that were in that scene. But I do, I mean, it is crazy. Um, I don't know, when, 
that doesn't really happen too much. No. I, I mean, on stage performing, that's just insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. But, yep, that's that's what happened um, the day that this episode aired. Are you, a, you're like a pretty heavy metal fan, right? That's most of what you're listening to? I only listen to heavy metal. No, okay, I don't. Yeah. But when oh. I was a teenager, I, I did listen to like heavy metal and... Um, that kind of stuff i never got into pantera but um Mm. my friends were into them and yeah you remember it happening yeah i got Mm -hmm. i used to listen to metallica and then i got made fun of a bunch for that what um i know it's wild uh i mean metallica is a very silly band well they've done some questionable things but like what just all that stuff with like suing was it napster that they sued or LimeWire. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was Napster. It was yeah. like Lars Ulrich was on a crusade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so funny to think about. And now it's like I'm sure they've signed a deal where they get point oh 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 one cents right. every time someone listens to Ride the Lightning. Uh-huh. Did you not to bring up Stranger Things again in this episode? I something that makes me laugh is I the, So running up that hill got mm-hmm. insanely big. Because of, not because, well, no, because of, because of that, uh, there, it had like a big resurgence where it like yeah. topped the charts in the UK again. And it, that was in the first half of the Stranger Things season. And I guess, I haven't seen the episode yet, but I guess Master of Puppets gets played is like a, or a needle drop, uh, in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I see, I just see all these ads for that scene on TikTok. And it's so funny because they're clearly trying to get, that song to like have the same cultural hit as running up that hill did. Um, and it is not working. It's not working. <laughs> it's no, I just don't think it's not an interesting enough song. I like yeah. that song, but like running up that hill is like so good. And I think people just hadn't heard it before. Yeah. I mean, I am just thrilled that Kate Bush is like having her second moment I'm just so beyond happy for her. But, like, it it is kind of weird. Like, her music is so much more obscure than Metallica is. So, like, of yes. course they wouldn't have the same, you know. Yeah. It, it's Most... not going to affect Gen Z, like, the same that it does with Kate Bush. Yes. Most of the people who have heard or who would really like Master of Puppets have already heard it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I, I think a bunch of, yeah, like teenagers hadn't heard Running Up That Hill. I just want, I want it to keep happening with Kate Bush. I want her to get one of these every single year. Oh, me too. I think that the uh, the boys should try and figure <laughs> out a way to work yes. in Wuthering Heights. I would oh. love for that one to go super viral. Mm-hmm. That'd be so good. Um, I did read, now we're kind of going on a tangent here, but I did That's read fine. somewhere that um, one of the Marvel movies was planning on using a Kate Bush song and like a like really important moment. And then when she had her moment in Stranger Things, they decided to take it out. And it wasn't even running up oh. that hill. It was a different song. And then they decided to take it out because like she's having a resurgence now like it would be too much like copying stranger things which just makes me mad because yeah like her discography is huge and like all bangers so if you can find another song and make it work then do it they were gonna do when Iron Man died. They were gonna have Babushka playing, right? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is. I mean, I guess it makes sense because you would be for sure if you were like all of a sudden just hear a Kate Bush drop like a year later. You would be kind of like, oh, they're trying to do the same thing as Stranger Things. I wouldn't think that. I would be well thrilled. I would be you would so just be happy. Tapping your toes to the song. I would, yeah. Yeah, I think the Stranger Things worked because it just did it perfectly. Yeah, like that scene is great. Mm-hmm. And it's recurring too, so I think that is also 
really great for Kate Bush. And it is catchy. It's stuck in your head. Yeah, that is, that's probably her catchiest song, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Maybe Wuthering Heights. But Wuthering Heights is also weird. Yeah. It's also fun because they... So many people have tried covering it now. And I think we've even talked about this maybe uh, just in, on our own in the past. But, like, Kate Bush is not someone that you can really cover you, uh, very well. Yeah. No. Um, it's like the like the Hallelujah song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you can't it's hard to do. the Cohen version. It'll yeah. just never never be beaten by any cover mm-hmm. um uh which is i know the point you were trying to make well um, but jeff buckley's version is really good but mm, interesting okay. yeah well maybe we've had this argument already in the past <laughs> <laughs> well this has been uh the kate bush stranger things hour and i guess that we did talk about some other stuff too well boone and and Locke they discover that new secret on the island. That was the whole show this week. And they they discover yet another island mystery. Mm-hmm. And what a mystery it was. Uh, I can't wait to find out more about it over the course of the next 14 episodes. Please follow us. Rate us five stars. Give us a review. Send us an email. Send us an email at or allthebestpods at gmail.com You can Twitter us, send us a tweet at all the best pods. How else can you can leave a strange piece of metal buried near mm-hmm. my front yard and I it, just throw a flashlight to me, I'll find it. Next week we'll be covering episode 12, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, I already have, well, I can't even. We'll talk about that episode next week. Uh, okay. Until next week. Get lost. Get lost. Bye.